Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, we've decided that our goal is sort of like to paint a new perspective on the world. Um, and I think we've, I think we've, we've missed actually better opportunities. In a lot of ways, our job is to mourn with those who mourn. Right. Right? It's to sit down and just like feel it with them. You know, and then, but feel it with the, the, the couple who just got married. Feel it with the couple who just had their first child. Like, feel it with them, right? We need to be able to feel it with them. And then we need to feel it with the people who are going through the darkest, most difficult times in their life, right? To me, that's church. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. This is your host, John Williamson. Adam Narlock is actually texting me right now from a hotel, a lovely hotel in uh, uh, the metropolis of Toledo, Ohio. He is away on business at the moment, uh, but uh, he sends his love. And uh, uh, with that, um, we are really excited to bring you this week's episode. Uh, we got to record this about a month ago. Uh, we found out that one of our favorite artists um, was coming to town on a tour, and uh, we reached out. And uh, fortunately, um, we got lucky, and uh, we got to record this one live. So the audio quality is a little sketchy at the beginning. We apologize. We don't get to do this often and we get really excited and then we get there and realize we don't do this often live and uh, uh, we're not really set up to do live uh, recordings uh, without having to take a lot of gear with us. So we have uh, rectified that (laughs) in the meanwhile. Uh, But for this episode, we realized about 15 minutes in that my microphone was actually not recording anything. So our, our, um, our wizard, AKA Nick Rowe, AKA our producer uh, did some magic on this episode. And uh, so uh, the sound quality, I, I think, is pretty good. It's not as good as uh, probably uh, had we recorded in our little studio, but it turned out really well, I think, and uh, um, captured a really cool conversation in the in the green room at the Newport Music Hall here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, so, really fun conversation. And uh, the other cool thing is, if uh, those of you out there who uh, follow our playlist on Spotify or on Apple Music, or I think we have a Google playlist too. Um, but if you follow our playlist, or if you're really into checking out uh, the musicians and the artists that uh, whose music that we use um, every week or every other week, rather, when our episodes come out, uh, the really cool thing is the opening act for uh, John Mark on this tour was Tyson Matzenbacher, who um, I'm a big fan of and uh, whose music we used on an earlier episode. So really cool to get to meet him in person and uh, and chat with him for a little bit as well. So so anyway, um, hope you guys like this episode. Before we get to that, um, as usual, thank you to everyone who is following us on uh, 
uh, on Patreon and and supporting us there. Um, your donations uh, mean a lot to us and and do uh, go to uh, to helping support this podcast, helping us to cover the costs of uh, producing the podcast and upgrading equipment when things break and uh, and that sort of thing. So thank you guys so much, uh, especially to all the the new folks who just jumped on board. Um, and again, uh, um, you know, we've got more goodies coming in the future and more surprises in store. So we can't wait to, to unveil some of those as, uh, as we get a little closer. Um, also thank you guys, uh, everyone to, uh, who follows us on social media. You can connect, uh, with us there, um, at, uh, www.thedeconstructionist.com, our, our website that was, uh, Redone and uh, reworked uh, within the last few months by our friend, our good friend, Ryan Battles. Thank you so much to him. Uh, But if you go to our website, you can follow us on social media, you can read our blog, uh, and you can uh, keep up on everything that we're doing there, join our Patreon uh, and that sort of thing. So thank you guys so much for that. And we should have some coffee mugs coming out soon too. So uh, if you want to uh, uh, drink coffee out of a really stylish deconstructionist mug, you can do that. So, um, otherwise thank you guys so much, uh, for continuing to listen and, uh, and follow along with us on, on our journeys as well. Um, other than that, uh, obviously the music this week is John Mark McMillan off of his album, uh, Mercury and lightning. And, uh, uh, really hope you guys like this interview. Um, it's been a while since we've done a musician. Uh, so without further ado, John Mark McMillan. Here we are in the in the green room of the Newport in Columbus, Ohio, hanging out with John Mark McMillan, and we are stoked for your show tonight, but we're even more stoked to uh, have a good conversation with you right now, so thanks so much, man, for making time to be on our, our podcast here. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys. I'm super stoked for the show and for this conversation. This yes. is one of the fun things about traveling is you get to do this kind of stuff every day. It's exciting. Well, I, don't, I actually don't even get to do it every day, but you know, it's, it's great to be in different cities and be able to have these kind of conversations with different people and... Yeah, mix yeah. It, mix it up a little bit. Totally. Yeah, and just for the sake so nobody gets confused, you know, John Williamson. This is John Mark McMillan. So All right, I'll call awesome. you John. I'll call you John Mark. All right. So yep. You know. we're, we're very gospel. <laughs> my little name is Paul. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. There you so, go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oh man. Yeah. Well, so I um, my, I grew up. My dad was pastor of a charismatic church, small charismatic storefront church. When I was younger, when I was even younger than that, my parents were. You know, sort of uh, Jesus movement people. They lived on a farm with a bunch of other people. It sounds like a commune, but it wasn't so much of a commune, but it was very, you know, sounds like a commune. But yeah, <laughs> they, all had, they all had jobs and things. And, you know, I don't know the whole story there. There was some sort of disappointment there, I know. Mm. Um, and uh, then my dad went on into um, more of a sales type business, and he always wanted to be a pastor. And one day he just felt like, this is it, you know. I mean, he says, and I, I believe him. He says, the Lord told him, if you want to do it, this is the time, so do it. And he did it, and he was, he's fairly successful. My teen years, he, so he pastored that church um, during my early teens, and I, that's more, you know, my, uh, 
uh, we start growing up a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. my childhood, I don't remember so much about church. I remember going to church, you know, but that's where I sort of remember like what's going on. And then my older teens, he got a job at a bigger church. We went to a much bigger church where he was one of the pastors, but not uh, the president of the ministry or anything. So he was sort of the lead pastor at the bigger location, I guess. And so that's how I grew up, you know, and still very charismatic, Meaning, and I, I mean, I see when you grow up charismatic, I don't even, I didn't even know what charismatic was. Right. They don't use denominational terms, you know, it was just church. Yeah. Later on, I'm looking back, yeah, that's, that was charismatic. <laughs> okay, so the charismatic, I guess, is what you call it, but um, that's kind of the way I grew up. Charismatic, interdenominational, non-denominational, that was my whole world, yeah. you know. Um, and so my faith is, you know, was very much influenced by that upbringing us, uh, I knew God in those terms, mm-hmm. you know, and the, you know, so, um, I got into music. Well, music is a big part of church and I actually think it'd be interesting to do a study at how many musicians learn in church. So I don't think most people realize that church is probably the dominant musical influence in the United States. You know, when you, when you watch American Idol, is that even a show anymore? But, you know, everyone, like every other person says, when do you, I started singing in church. I started playing in church. So if you think about it, unless you're old enough to play bars, where do you play with other people? Right. And church is one of those places where um, you can be not good, and a lot of times they still let you play. That's how you get good. You know, so I, I started playing in church, but I, I really started to, I, I picked up the guitar because I wanted to impress girls, you know. And then, uh, you know, being on the stage and playing guitar was even better, you know. Um, it didn't work. Neither being on the stage or playing the guitar didn't really help me meet girls, no. Nope. But that's why I started playing music in church. gave me a great opportunity to uh, do that, you know, when I wasn't good. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, yeah. So then, I mean, what was, that, what was that like, you know? You're in church, and you're becoming a musician at the same time that you're forming you know, ideas about who you are, about who yeah, God yeah. is, about, you know, all those kinds of things. So, like, just talk a little bit more about that, because I think that's really fascinating for people that want to just understand you better as a musician, as yeah, yeah. somebody that's got a lot to say. Totally. Well, I, man, so where, where should I begin there? <laughs> I, think, I think for me, church was, uh, in the beginning, was um, mostly social, mm-hmm. you know, and I almost hesitate to say that, but uh, I really... You know, um, I had always known church. Church was always a part of my life. And so for me, it was about, you know, my friend group and my yeah. peers. And, you know, even when I was young, I used to think of a lot of the people who went to my church as my aunts and uncles, you know, and they're people I'm still, even today, you know, I'm somewhat close with, you know, from the early, those early days, you know. And so that's, church was very much sort of family for me. Um, and I think, and, it, and even at a point, it's sort of, I kind of flip-flopped between like being really heavily into church type stuff and being very much not, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know if it's, it's the sort of traditional cla- classic pastor's son type thing, you know, sure. but like church, I really enjoyed the social aspects of church, but I really, church culture like really bummed me out, <laughs> you know, and I didn't know what to call it when I was young, when I was younger, you know, but there's just certain aspects of things, people did things like, why does the music have to sound this way? Why do we have to do things this way? And I really didn't understand, you know. Mm-hmm. And in my sort of super rebellious years, um, my dad was a preacher, and, I, you know, I wore Nine Inch Nails T-shirt every day. Yeah, you did. You know, I had long hair, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, I'm, and my dad was so cool, 
And he, he always told me, he's like, you can look like hell if you want to, as long as you don't act like hell. And you start acting like hell, then you can't look like hell. <laughs> That's what he used to always say. And so he's pretty well kind put. as a pat. You know, he didn't want me to live to some sort of expectation as pastor's family. But I know that it had to be like tough on him, pastoring a teeny church, small church at the time with such a, you know, nasty looking dude sitting <laughs> in the back, you know. And so that's what I was into, you know, the 90s, you know, were full of just negativity and depression yeah. and, you know, so it was much. like, it's so interesting now and when I try and explain to millennials what it was like in the 90s, I think it's hard for them right. to understand, just like it's probably hard for me to fully understand my dad in the 60s and 70s, yeah. you know, like, but like, it's so interesting, the 90s where depression was, um, you know, they talk about, we don't talk about depression enough. In the 90s, we talked about it, but it was the cool thing. That's a good point. To be right. depressed. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of millennials would not, they say, not really, though. I'm like, yes, really. Like, yeah. I was watching that Kurt Cobain documentary about his son. I love that documentary, yeah. right? Yep. It's all his words in an interview, and you almost never hear another person's voice. You just hear this interview in his voice. And he's talking, and he's saying things. I'm like, I lived that. And I was like, I can't believe he's saying, like, he hated people. But it wasn't like he was saying this behind closed doors. He was openly saying, I just hate these type of people so much. People who work jobs and live this way. He's like, I just hate them so much. I don't want them to come to my shows. This was an open thing. And this was not like, yeah. you know, like, oh, we caught him. We're going to put him on TMZ. Like, no, this was like his thing. And he was the voice of my generation. He talked about how he had this girlfriend. He's like, she worked. I didn't really work. I mean, he's literally saying this. He's like, and she didn't kick me out because she knew I would be fine just to live on the street. So she let me stay. She's, I mean, I'm not getting a job. I wasn't going to work a job. <laughs> I mean, he literally says that. I mean, talks about how he was homeless for a while. And that song, Something in the Way, and he's talking about under the, you know, he's under the bridge and it's raining. He's watching. the. And this was like a hero. It wasn't like he over, he wasn't talking like, oh, he overcame this. He was like, this is basically me. Right. You know, and I was like, so that was like, I've, I'm like, have those inclinations like depression is awesome and I'm depressed and expressing my depression is important. And, you know, then I've got this church side of things where everything is like way too happy, you know, and sort of not my dad so much, but, you know, this expectation, I was like, there's two worlds sort of coming together, you know, and I was trying to figure out how I fit in these two worlds, you know, like, um, and so I, I've been a conflicted person my whole life. I just, these straight I'm starting to you. pick yeah. up on that. I, no, I, I love it. I think that's why your music's complex. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I've been a conflicted person, I think, my whole life, and I'm fine with that. Not conflicted in the sense like I, you know, I think I've come to the point now where I'm like, I'm okay with not being able to put all the puzzle pieces together, you know, Amen. and I can yes. sort of enjoy the different aspects of life, you know, like, but there was definitely this tidiness in church where they wanted to wrap, wrap it up nice. I'm like, yep. yeah, but you don't understand, this world is dark. And to be honest, they, it was not a, I mean, you know, you see the fruit of that world when you take it all the way. Yep. You know, even now, a lot of the heroes who I thought, guys like Chris Cornell, was like, I thought you made it out, you know, but, but maybe not. You know, some, some sort of his ghosts or demons, you know. I have no idea. But, right. you know, you, you still see that in that, gen, in that generation. That's sort of the Generation X is the generation that no one talks about. It's yeah. like the boomers and the millennials, and we're sort of still depressed in the middle, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. You know? Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm overstating it. And I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm on the tail end of Gen X. Like, so 
someone calls us the Jared Leto generation. I'm like yes. on the back end. We call the Jared yeah. Leto generation. We are. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 this weird in between where we we didn't grow up with technology, but we're not technology inept. Yeah, and totally. so. And so, I like, we, right we're now. adaptable. And so there's this weird, yep. they, they just labeled us because, of course, we have to label everything. Yeah, got to label everything. Yeah. But we're not, we're also clearly not millennials either. Yeah, totally. It was the, the My So Called Life of Claire awesome. Danes yeah. and Jared Leto, the TV show. Yes, okay. Sort of like that sort of now. defines our coming of age, which neither boomers nor millennials can fully relate to that. Right. I mean, or, or even Gen X, it's just sort of like we're right on the tail end. So, it's really interesting, too. I love that generation. I sort I think of love that now. <laughs> I know. Well, like, I think that, and I know, I, I love millennials, so this is not a knock. At millennials. All. Yeah, but, because Gen, Gen X is so full of their own it, major issues. But I love the, it's, it's interesting, because we sort of have the angst of the Gen X, you know, and I feel like the millennials think they have angst, but I don't think they have angst the way we have angst. No. You know? No, no. We have the angst, and we have a little bit of the, I don't want to say entitlement, but millennials expect things to work yeah. a certain way. Because yeah. we didn't really, we were just sort of like, we hate it all, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But so it's an interesting combination when I run into people like that. They're totally down with you, but then every now and then they're also like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to play the game entirely. I don't know. I, I guess I felt, I mean, I guess that makes sense. I felt exactly like that my whole life. Like, yeah. between the two generations, I'm sort of like, got one fit in here. I can't go all the way with sort of my little bit older Gen X family. I just can't quite be that angry all the time. And the millennial world is still like a little bit too put together for me. Like I still like a little bit of like, um, you know, not so politically correct, you know. Mm -hmm. I like to be a little bit loud and not be such a presentation all the time. You yeah, know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. So they're probably, they both hate me for saying that right now. Both generations are totally hating on me for that. But you know, I feel that way with, with my music. I felt that way growing up in church. I never fully fit in. But, I, but outside of church, I was also had a really difficult time as well. Um, and my life was not terrible by any stretch. But it was really hard because I felt like I didn't quite fit in in church, didn't quite fit in in school. Because I have these existential inclinations, Dude. but also church was, and I say church is so difficult to just do a blanket statement about no, all this is your spiritual story. people. This yeah. is your story, yeah. But church culture, I should say, the greater, you know, um, machine. machine of yes, church, whatever. the way I saw church, you know, also seems to um, not be entirely honest with itself mm -hmm. either. And, you know, it was really hard for me to have all these big existential questions that, like, kids at school, like, they didn't want to talk about them. Man, I know exactly what you're saying. And yes. people in church just, they wanted to talk about them, but they wanted to talk about them in a very wrapped up, straightforward way. To a way. point in their categories. Exactly. And then don't go outside that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and that was really hard. I like, think oh, good, difficult. you're a question asker. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we love question askers. <laughs> just certain ones. Until here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we, use this language, please. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. the language, and so, and so, honestly, even musically, I would flip-flop between like, Asking these questions and asking these questions. Then several times I'd give myself, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, just going to give myself fully over to church because I feel like this is the healthy thing to do, you know. Um, and once again, I'm talking not church. I'm talking about church culture, you know. Mm -hmm. yep. But every time it was just it was really difficult. I didn't feel like I fit in, you know, fully. Even though I saw a lot of success. And the funny thing is people talk about getting hurt in church. I really never got, like, hurt in church the way people talk about yeah you know for me it was just sort of like i never fully felt like i was there and it wasn't like people didn't let me into their thing 
I just, you know, especially early on, I just had a difficult time connecting because it was really difficult for me to say, okay, this is how it is, and I'm, you know, just going to do that because it's the way it is, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I mean, and maybe I did that for seasons, but I always bump up against something, mm-hmm. you know? Always bump up against something. And I do think my life got better when I gave, you know, because I had a lot of time in my teens when, it was really funny, I actually feel like I'm in my teens again. I know. I feel like so I'm in my I. teens. Like, in my teens, I was like, I don't know if God is real or is he real the way I think he's real? He seems real or is he real? And what if he's not? What if he is? Awesome. What if he's real and I'm going to die and I'm going to go to hell? What do I need to do then? And, you know, when I was a kid, I used to do the recite the thing every other day just to make sure I was totally like my yeah. bases were covered, you know? <laughs> yep, right, right. And so like I, and I'm, being, I'm overstating a little bit, but I feel like I'm in that same place. And I was like, I had a good solid couple of decades where like I didn't have those questions. And I'm like, why are those questions coming back now? You know? I also wonder why culturally that seems to be happening a lot too. Because you didn't have a whole lot of that happen culturally. You had people who were mad and you had people who weren't mad. But as far as the, the discussion, you know, there wasn't so much of that growing up, or maybe any of it. And maybe that has something to do with technology, you know? Like, all these people are talking. I think it does. You have all these yeah. long-form discussions. You didn't used to have long-form discussions like we're having now, right? Like, you could watch on TV. Maybe you get it on the radio. Like, NPR is about as close as we get. Right. But even then, it was sort of short. It was sort of segmented. Mm-hmm. had sponsors. It had, I mean, nothing wrong with sponsors. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it was all very much short-form. Yeah. Like the sort of long-form discussion thing wasn't. And so there's a lot of issues like, you know, like uh, penal substitutionary atonement theory. Well, let's, let's talk about that let's, for let's five minutes. Let's, let's go, go there. I know, yeah. exactly. We're going we're gonna to wrap that up in five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> right. You know, like, that just doesn't happen. So that kind of stuff just didn't come up because I think we were in this segmented world. And now we have these much larger conversations for better or worse. I mean, I think for better probably. But yeah. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if I've answered your question. I just sort of rabbit trailed. Yeah. That's exactly what we're But to me, this defines, if you want to know what it was like growing up, like this is the conflict I grew up with, you know. I I think the other interesting thing is uh, I'm always always interested to hear another pastor's kid because I'm a a PK as well. And there's this unique set of struggles that comes along with that as well. You know, like everybody assumes that because your dad's a pastor that you're going to behave and act a certain way or have certain quantities of knowledge, you know, and... So I was the same way. I was the one throwing, uh, you know, paper airplanes over the balcony yep. at my dad's church while he was like, you know, laser eyeing me like, I'm going to murder you. Yeah, totally. You you will meet our oh, Lord and man, Savior I after know. church, you know. But. Oh, my gosh. You want to meet Jesus, boy? So, uh, no. so I'm always curious because it seems to happen a lot yeah. where, you know, like pastor's kids go through that that whole unique upbringing. And, and I think all of us at some point are like, I'm never getting into this business. And then in some form or fashion, we get into this business. Oh, yeah. So how did that happen for you? How did you end up writing, you know, becoming, like, known as the guy who wrote yep. one of the biggest worship songs of all time? I mean, obviously, you, you came into the family business in yep. the manner of speaking. I know. Isn't, that is funny. And I've thought about that many times. Have you, uh, you're familiar with the Godfather movies, right? I was sure. just thinking that. I know. They yeah. keep pulling me they back in. pulling me back in. <laughs> I've literally said that, you know, or I've worked another job, and I'm like, I turn around, I'm like, I'm doing ministry again. I'm like, and not that I hate it at all, but I'll have these times left where I'm like, I'm not doing ministry anymore. And I'll, I'll wake up one day and turn around and be like, how did I, I'm doing this again? Like, how did this happen? 
How did I, I mean, not that I got talked into it. I was just like, whoa, hey, I'm doing it again. And it's not a bad thing, but it is so funny because I, I don't know. That's interesting. You know, I don't know that my dad planned on being a preacher when he grew up. I was, I definitely ran away. I ran away from it, the whole idea, and somehow just landed in it. It is, you know. I think some of it, too, is just having all these existential thoughts all the time. Just growing up thinking about this stuff, like, church is a, is a place to talk about it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so writing worship songs became, um, you know, a way for me to kind of uh, work through some of my stuff, you know. And since I was already playing music on the worship team, and I really enjoyed it, there were times in life, too, where I'm just going to be honest, like, I really loved worship music. And there was a time in the 90s, and once again, it sort of goes back to, like, it's hard to imagine now the way things were, and you kind of have an idea, but when we lived through it, it was something different. Like, like there was something highly subversive about a worship movement in the 90s. Yeah. You know, I also think there was no, there were no cameras, there was no podcasts, you know, so, like, you could be so weird. Yeah. And your friends at school wouldn't even know how weird you were, right. <laughs> you know, and and there's this celebration of weirdness in worship in yeah. certain um, segments of church that I thought was a lot of fun. I mean, and and having that sort of, um, you know, I'm trying real hard not to use religious language, you know, but having that sort of um, group connection with a greater entity, you know, like, or, you know, they say worshiping God, have that kind of, It's something about it that's really, really um, addictive almost, you know? And totally agree. I, addictive, I don't know if that's the word, but I, there's, the, there's a thing, and it's scientifically proven when you sing with other people, yeah. um, you know, things like oxytocin and yeah. dopamine yeah. fire in your brain. Yeah. And it does really good things for your body, like yeah. really, really good things for your body. It's good for inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good for... Um, it, it makes you more open to fellowship, yeah. you know? I think people miss that. That's one thing when people stop going to church, I'm like, I don't think they realize the practical side of going to church. How great, just singing with people. And I'm not saying this to say that it's not a connection to God. I just think I do I like to, it can, yeah. And I, be, I, I believe in God. I love God. I totally, you know, but I like, to, I'm trying to think things in a much more nuanced way. I'm trying to think about why was I, it's, it's not enough to say, well, we worship God. It's like, well, what does that mean? What is that? Exactly. Right. What does that mean? And so um, there's just something fascinating and exciting in worship music those times. And I was sort of feeling this um, existential connection to the divine, you know, um, and there were some really exciting things happening. So worship music for a time, I did really, I really got wrapped up in it. And then after a while, it, it didn't, it wasn't as exciting. And I don't think it was I got bored with what we were doing. I feel like the culture, the whole culture of it changed. Some of it had to do with how much money people realized you could make with worship music. I mean, I guess that's normal. When we'll something's awesome, people will bit. figure out how to make money. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll monetize anything. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, capitalism. Yeah. Capitalism. Yeah. Okay. Necessary so. and insidious. It is. Exactly. I don't know how to not have it. Right. Exactly. You know. But, you know, so there are things you have to have. Um, you have to have food. You have to have, you know, um, clean air and water and shelter, those types of things. And I feel like worship is a thing you have to have. Like, you're going to find a way. So we have to have, and, and for me, it's, um, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's the Christian idea, the, um, you know, offering yourself up to the greater, yeah, you know, yeah, to yeah. God, right. to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, you know, like it's having some sort of 
um, greater conversation, you know, with other people because of the, you know, and I could get in, I, I, you know, and I've had further thoughts about that, the whole idea of God being love and what does it mean, Can't you know, it's like there's something about, to fully experience God, there's something about having to experience God with people, totally. along with people. Like, there's something about it, like, God will not be alone, you know? Then you depend on people, and God's sort of like, I'm not really there either. You sort of have to have the whole, I don't know. I'm, I'm really just, um, these are just thoughts, okay? Well, so but, but I guess what I'm saying is, yeah. when people have to have something, other people will find a way to monetize it, mm. right? And people are going to have... They're going to have worship. I mean, and if you think about music in general, without getting off the subject, like it's a billion-dollar industry. Yeah. You think about what it is, especially now, it's just in bits of information, M- melody and words, and these melodies and words are a billion-dollar industry, yeah. right? Because people are going to have to have it. They're going to have to have a way to express or be a part of expressing something that's in them that they have to be able to say on a larger, more visceral scale, yeah. right? They just have to. They're going to have it. So it's the same with worship and church worship. Um, and it is interesting that worship became such a thing. Like, I remember growing up, being a worship leader was not really a job option. You know, I knew people who, who made a little bit of money doing it, and they would usually it'd be like, make a little bit of money on Sunday leading worship at their church, you know, and mm-hmm. help get stuff together, but, like, that wasn't a career. Right. No one thought of that as a career, at least no one I knew of, you know. Um, but uh, but something changed where it became a big money-making sort of thing. I think some of it had to do with the fact that the CD went away, mm-hmm. you know. So, like, when I was young, when we first started out, I was talking to someone about this the other day. We didn't need ticket sales, guarantees. Like, we play small shows and sell 100 CDs at $16 a piece, right? So my wife and I would go out and play and sell 100 CDs two, three, four nights in a row, and we had a career, you know? And just small crowds, you know, and when that went away, um, everyone started looking for new ways to make money, and they they found that publishing on worship music was an awesome way to make money. Because um, and they're a good, they're a good company and they're good people. But the CCLI, Christian Copyright Licensing, um, the guy who started it realized that churches were not paying because if you play music in public, you're required by the law to pay the intellectual property owner, right? So if you wrote the song, um, you're enti- if someone plays your music in public, you're entitled to it. And churches weren't doing that, and I think it's because they didn't know. And he saw an article in the paper about how someone. Um, sued, was suing a church because they did their song on Sunday morning. He's like, this is not good. He, and he looked into it and realized there's no outlet, or no, not outlet, there's no system. So he created this system where churches, based on the size, pay money to, you know, have a license. But they don't pursue anyone. They don't sue anyone. Churches don't have to pay it. But what they did is create a bunch of resources so they make it worthwhile. And most churches, at least in the United States, um, I think it's more difficult in in other countries, but in the United States, most churches want to play ball. They're like, oh, okay, of course. Yeah, we want to, like, it's the law and these people, you know. Yeah. And um, and so they do. They'll pay a certain amount of money depending on the size of the church. Anyway, over the past um, uh, decade, maybe 15 years, um, it's become one of the le- biggest sources of income for the Christian music industry. Yeah, and so, like, um, 
So you'll see now, that's why a Christian radio and all this stuff is all turned towards worship music is because you can like, if you're on the radio, more people are going to sing it, more people sing it, your church is going to sing it. Because you know, the worship leader gets up there when everyone joins in to sing, you're like, I'm going to do this song again and again, right? And so it's sort of like all turned towards, that's really the, I want to say the primary source of income now in the Christian music world, it comes from that publishing. If it's not the main one, it's the big, so it's the backbone of all Christian music, all Christian musical expression really kind of flows from that on the, on the larger scales, right? Like, so the bigger companies are all after that publishing. Well, here's the, okay, so here's, and I, I love it because I, it's for me, it's been a great source of income that's allowed me to do what I want to do. There's a lot of my friends that felt like they have to do this and stay in this over here, this smaller world where they can't say everything they want to say. They have to do radio singles this exact way. You know, but um, for me, it's been like, okay, this is awesome. I'm able to make a living doing other things and taking some risks that, like, maybe other people wouldn't. But I've been able to because publishing has been good over the years, the past few years, you know. But the problem is if, if, if the income is based on, um, let me think of the best way to say this. But you can see the, the danger when our corporate expression, you know, because at the end of the day, worship really um, influences the way we think about God, right? So the songs we sing like heavily influence the way we think about God. And honestly, they are the conversations that we have with God, right? So if the conversations you have with God are also um, uh, the source of all his money, right? Then there's there's obviously a temptation to want to steer those conversations in the direction that makes the most money. Yep. So as a whole, it's not bad, but it's dangerous at the same time because, you know, I might, you know, like the conversations you have with God are not always the conversations that make you feel better about you, right? Like even like that in the Bible. I know, exactly, exactly. And so like, it's sort of like, but if you want a lot of people to sing a song, you know, a good way to not get your song sung is to say something that makes people feel uncomfortable. But like, if we're talking about church, Christianity, transformation, spiritual development, all that comes from being uncomfortable. You know, all that comes from being uncomfortable, but uncomfortability in your worship is not going to produce the publishing gains that um, we're used to having or that we need to have to keep the bus and to keep the house and to keep the kids and to keep the radio and to keep the machine running, you know? So it's complicated. And I'm not saying everyone involved in that is in a bad place or that you can't trust them, but I am saying that, like, it is a, it is a, a danger. Yeah, but there is something there. There is something there, exactly. Of, right? Exactly, yeah. So, for instance, the How We Love song, I don't, you, know, I don't, you said you weren't going to talk about it. Now I'm bringing it up. Oh my God. This is on you. you know, this did. is on me. So if your manager's listening, totally. we didn't bring uh, that you up. Did, exactly. <laughs> so the lyric change, you know, is the sloppy wet kiss lyric, which the whole song is kind of an awkward song if you think about it. Hurricanes and trees and kisses. I was like, it's, I never thought a lot of people were going to sing this song, you know. Just, but the lyric change, you know, was a game changer because all of a sudden all these churches that would not touch it, you know, it's sort of, 
you know, open the doors. And it's gone well for me, you know, <laughs> yeah. because of that. And so, like, I love David Crowder for that. I love him for a lot of reasons, but I love him for that. He opened the door, you know, and his sort of whole idea was that um, you guys have had it. Let's introduce it to a whole new group. And I was like, well, you know, that's, I think that's amazing. Um, hang on one second. Let me tell the guys they need to. <laughs> it's some good background, James. Yeah, yeah. no, it's all it's all good. Give me one second. I need to tell the guys they need to chill with. No problem. Oh, it's you can barely hear it in the background. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're good with it if you are. It, it makes okay, it feel cool. more authentic. All right, great, great, great. <laughs> if it distracts you, yeah, yeah. We're not. No, no, it's cool. I just want to make sure. Yeah, right on. Um, yeah, but but and Super. so that's fine. Honestly, that lyric change is fine. I think what bummed me more more than what bummed me out more than anything was the fact that we had to change the lyric. It's not like the lyric change itself bothers me. But the, but the fact that people created these theological reasons as to why they couldn't sing. I was like, if you don't like it, that's fine. But if you're telling me you want to change it for some gross theological uh, idea, like, that's not fine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But my point here is this, is that that change is not a big deal. But think about that change on a um, much larger scale how much that little change made a world of difference for me. Now think about every other worship writer who knows, as they're writing, they know, if I write this, I will not make money. If I write this, there's an opportunity to make lots of money. And it's subconscious. You almost can't even, you know. And so for me, that's why one reason my records have been a little bit weird is because I've always wanted to be careful not to fully tread on that ground. And I even at times I've put lyrics in songs make sure I have one sort of, if I'm going to do a worship song, I want one lyric to kind of challenge people a little bit, just to make sure my motives are right and that I'm not writing songs. I mean, look, I want to write songs that make money. That's my job. I love it. You know, anyone who does their job and doesn't want to be successful, I'm sort of like, question them a little bit. I mean, right, you want to be good at what you do. You want to take care of your family. But at the same time, it's like when I'm writing a song that could be potentially be a person's conversation that they're having with God, right? So for me, I, I take it really, really seriously. I think it's important to me that I be as honest as I can be in that song, um, you know, because I think it's important that they get to hear it and not hear, and that it's, the, I, you know, and that the money isn't the determining factor on what type of conversation they have with God. I mean, think about that. That's kind of scary. Part of that conversation be um, more pure if it was more honest. Like you know what I mean. Like I think it's, so. Yeah. It's do, so. Do you want me to give you a script? Yeah, yeah. On how you've been taught, you know, it's supposed to feel, mm-hmm. or it's supposed to look, or it's yep. supposed to whatever. Or should we be honest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, and even you know, if you go back to even the most fundamental approach, it's like. What permission do the Psalms give us? What conversations I mean, do the Psalms grief. give us permission to have? You know, and and so, yeah, 
crazy. I know. It is. I was just saying, I think, I think the most interesting thing about, about this current time that we're in compared to, like, like you were talking about some of the differences between now mm-hmm. and, like, the 90s, you know, when we were kids, that I think, I think that the millennials get a bad rap for being this just disengaged, uninterested uh, movement of, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But in our experience, like, the people that we've talked to are, like, completely the opposite. They're hyper-engaged, but they're just looking for authenticity. Yeah, totally. That, that they don't feel like they're receiving. Like, like one of a, a previous interview we did, I can't remember who it was with, I think it was another musician, made the comment that, like, you only hear happy, like, God's good, everything's yeah. great music. You don't hear, like, nobody writes a worship song based on the book of Job. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, totally. Life just took a giant crap on me. I know. <laughs> you know, it's like, and that's the honesty, and they're like, but I, yeah. life is not perfect. Totally. Totally. And, you know, like, um, I've got a good friend. If you haven't heard his music, you should go listen to my friend Andy Squires. If you've, he's my favorite songwriter. He's, he's actually the worship pastor at our church. Um, but you need to listen to his record, Cherry Blossoms, and the whole record is about loss. And it is absolutely beautiful record. And in the, you know, in the years leading up to that, he lost both of his best friends. And he, uh, he, and he, he was a worship leader, and he'd, he'd done worship records, and they had not been as successful as he thought they should be. It never really took off the way he thought. I mean, he's such a talented guy. And so we got to the point where he's like, you know what, I just don't care. I'm just going to write this record because this is what I feel. And the record is absolutely phenomenal. Like absolutely phenomenal. He's working on a new record now, but you should check it out and listen to. We will. Um, but for and for me, the reason he's one of my favorite worship leaders, and some of his songs maybe you could do in church. Others, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's cultural, right? But you know, he doesn't avoid loss. He doesn't afo- avoid that conversation. You know, and for me, like where I am right now is with spiritual things with God. Is that I think what God is really interested in is whether or not you engage. Yeah. You know? And I mean, when yes. you look in Scripture, like, and the whole idea, like, uh, I think, oh, man, who, oh, my gosh, I'm trying to, I want to quote the right guy. Who wrote the Message Bible? Um, Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson. I think Eugene Peterson said this, um, but either him or one of his contemporaries said this, said, don't curse your wife, curse God. Because mm. one, God can handle it, and two, cursing your wife is cursing God, Right? Wow. And, but we have this idea of that God needs to only be revered in this way. But I think God is like, more like, hey, I am willing to take it if you are willing to give it to me. But if you turn it on your brothers and sisters, it's like, then I'm going to take it offensively, right? But, I, but, you know, even the whole concept of Jesus, like, what does Jesus say that God died? And this is going to get really weird. People might get real mad at me. I'm just working this out, guys, Okay. <laughs> I'm so, I, I trust Jesus, and at the end of the day, if my theology's wrong, like, he's going to save me. Nobody listens to these yeah. podcasts, man. <laughs> no, I'm sure a lot of people. No, but think about this. What is the message? Jesus, the fact that God dies for us, that God takes the, you know. If anything, it says this, and it's a what if about God, but it's a what if that I'm highly considering to be true. Is what if God, what if the Jesus as God says this to us, what if, what if it says this, that God feels the pain of all people, right? You know, feels the pain of all people. So we sort of covet this idea of God. We want to be like God in the sense that we want to have all the power, all the influence. But maybe if we also had to feel the weight of all the pain in the world, 
then we would not want to be God. And so maybe God is sparing us by feeling the pain of every person so that we only have to feel our own pain. We don't have to feel the pain of everyone, right? What if that, and so what if that's awesome? You know, what if that means that whatever you're feeling, you can actually lay it out on him? You know, what if your anger, you can actually direct your anger towards God and he's okay with that because he exists to take it Imagine on. how healthy that would be. I know. You see, Jesus on the cross is like, hey, I am taking it. I'm taking the blow for you. We go to church, we feel like I only have to say happy things to God. And God's like, no, give me what you got, right? If you have doubt, if you have anger, if you have shame, it's not just to walk in and say, Jesus covered your shame. It's like, no, like, let's give it to him in an actual way and not feel like we have to do it otherwise, right? And that's what we do, work out. I mean, I think that's what I do with my music is I work out what's going on with me, you know? I mean, I don't know. I mean, at the same time, it could be hard to go to church and just hear people just constantly complaining all the time. No, but, but there the is a place. Spectrum. Yeah, I think what you're exactly. saying is there's some, if, if, if it's all valid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it even totally. is biblically. Yeah, yeah. And if it's totally. all real and if it's real, it needs to be given expression. Yeah, absolutely. And God's not scared of it. Exactly. Then there's a not big part missing yeah. in that expression. Totally, totally. And I feel like, it, you know, like it doesn't, God doesn't ever seem to be offended at the honesty in the Bible, right? He doesn't ever seem to be offended at your honesty. It's like he's really more offended at your dishonesty, you know? And so I think sometimes we're just totally dishonest with God and ourselves in worship, and I think he gets bored. I think God's bored of that sometimes, you know? <laughs> we start to require dishonesty yeah. for acceptance, you know, totally. from others. Yeah. So, well, what's going to want to make you sing more songs, you know, the song that like, you know, but okay, for instance, had some um, friends who went through something really difficult. I've had a number of friends go through this. Multiple sets of friends go through this where, um, you know, they had a miscarriage or lost a baby. And I've had a couple sets of friends have very late-term miscarriages where the wife had to give birth, the mother had to give birth to the stillborn. And I've had multiple friends who went through that. And, um, you know, and like I have a friend... Well, how do, you, how do you show up at church after that happens and sing the happy songs, right? What do you do when your friend, you know, dies? You know, my buddy uh, Andy, his friend was murdered. You know, they never solved it. Someone came in their house, the wife and kids got out, and they, you know, he was murdered. You know, and then you show up at, Jesus worship leader, you show up at church and sing the happy songs, Right? Like, and it's not that you can't be happy and whole again, right? But at the same time, like, we got to offer people more than what we offer them. It's almost offensive when someone goes through something like that. And the thing about those types of things, we act like that's not real life. And in church, we sort of pretend that those types of things don't happen. But that's very common, you know. We're suffering loss, you know. We're, um, we're struggling with relationships, you know, there are people who are battling depression. Uh, and then there are people who are having a great, they just got married and they're just excited about life, you know. Um, there's all this happening at the same time. But it's like we have to create a place and create language for people who are going through those types of things too. So I know a lot of them um, just uh, don't, you know, in, in, in situations like that, they just don't go to church. It's like I just can't show up to church and sing the same happy you know, oh, happy day, you know? Like, I just can't show up and sing it, and it's not because they're angry. 
It's just we, they've been giving nothing. We've given them no language to have the conversation they need to have. And honestly, the conversation the church needs to have with them, you know, to mourn with those who mourn. Like, we suck at that. Yeah. And if anything, we tell them, like, I mean, you're going to heaven when you die. Everything's fine. You'll be fine. Right, right. You know, that's what we hand them, you know. But that's not, that's not really the, the Jesus way, you know. His, the whole Jesus way is to suffer with you, you know. We like, you know, I could just I could talk about that all day. Yeah, we, we like to yeah. we like to give prepackaged answers like, hey, this we give you this Bible verse, it'll yeah. make it all go away. Instead exactly. of just giving the person a hug and saying, yeah, that's exactly, sorry. or just like crying with them, yeah. or just like you know feeling the weight, yeah. you know, of um, you know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And that's sort of the, and that's that's honestly, I feel like the church is. We've decided, the church has decided that our goal is to make the whole world happy. And decided that oh, the goal dude, is, is to, so good. you know, we've decided that our goal is sort of like to paint a new perspective on the world. Um, and I think we've, I think we've, we've missed actually better opportunities. In a lot of ways, our job is to mourn with those who mourn. Right. Right? Is to sit down and just like feel it with them, you know, and then, but Feel it with the, the, the couple who just got married. Feel it with the couple who just had their first child. Like, feel it with them, right? We need to be able to feel it with them. And then we need to feel it with the people who are going through the darkest, most difficult times in their life, right? To me, that's church, you know? It's not um, this, like, conquering thing that's out there to own everything, you know? It's, it's the group of people who will sit down with you and feel what you're feeling, you know, and the, you know, and hopefully lead you to a place with God where you can like give him whatever it is you have to give him, you know, without fear, you know. Is this our story? That's what I think. That's what I think. Like, I think we've spent so much time trying to sell Christianity as some kind of a solution. Oh, exactly. Yes. Like it's a solution. Like yeah. it's a, like where it's like this is an infomercial. Yeah. And I've got to show you how well this works and what yeah. that means in your terms is if this is working well, then things are going to go yeah. well and things are going to be good and circumstances yeah. are going to be good and my totally. emotions are going to be good and my relationships are going to be good. Yeah. When really. It's about all of life. It's about the mm-hmm. full spectrum of living. Yeah. What does it mean to live? What does it mean yeah, to be? Totally. What does it mean to be human? Yeah. And, totally. And like, if we invited people into that and like what the, what the Christian expression is of that. Yeah. Totally. Well, as I've had people ask me, when, when you write sad songs, like, where's the redemption in the song? It's like, the redemption is not in the song. The redemption has never been in the song. Oh, the redemption has been in the other voices who are singing the sad song with you. The redemption is in the fellowship that comes from singing the sad song together, oh, right? Yeah. But it's never been about the song. The song has never saved anybody, right? But it's about what the song means. It's about what the song, what happens when we engage in life together, in the song together, right? That's good. Yeah. Man. And so in that, in that sense, it's sort of like the, that's why I get so frustrated when people argue over lyrics. I'm like, the lyrics matter <laughs> Maybe, you know, in the, but in the grand scheme of things, the lyrics are at the very low end of the totem pole, you know, like, and it's not to ignore the, 
the the God part of it, it, what am I trying to say? Like, people feel like we have to be singing specifically about theology in order for it to be worship music. But worship music is really just an opportunity for you to engage with God, opportunity for you to engage with one another, opportunity to engage in the whole thing. And in a sense, you don't need specific words to do that, you know, um, to be honest. People don't like to hear that, like, don't I have to be singing? But the problem is, how are we going to conquer the world if they don't understand what we're saying? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe we're not supposed to conquer the world. <laughs> maybe the world yes. Maybe the world is, is solidly conquered. <laughs> I don't know. So I, I think that's a great transition into talking about your latest record. Yes. Um, we love it. It's, it's definitely uh, a bit different from mm-hmm. your previous totally. record. So um, talk a little bit about what was the inspiration. And, and obviously, there's some inherent risk there. Yeah, right? totally. Like, was there some pressure for you to just crank out another, like, standard worship album and... And how is that different? Um, because you released this one independently, right? Yep, totally. I've produced most of my records independently. Um, I've, I've had producer partners, you know. Um, I did this one with a guy named Gabe Wilson. out of uh, He lives just north of Portland, Oregon, in Vancouver, Washington. And he's a good friend. Um, uh, he's got a cool studio right there in downtown Vancouver. And um, But I was, uh, yeah, but there is, there is pressure. Yeah, I mean, you know, you feel it. You're like... It's like, well, the How We Love song, and these other songs are making a lot of money. Then, you know, they're sort of like, can you just write one or two of those songs? <laughs> like, right. it's like I, and I like those songs. So I'm not against writing, you know, songs. But I, I also don't feel the need to sort of repeat myself. You know, I'm not going to write How He Loves Part 2, <laughs> How He Loves You More, you know. But <laughs> I, don't, I just don't feel the pressure to do I, You know, um, for me, it's more about what I'm going through in the moment. And when I wrote How He Loves, I was not thinking about writing a worship song. You know, and when my wife and I wrote the King of My Heart song, we weren't really thinking about doing that. It's just sort of something we were doing, you know, in the moment. And so, like, I've always sort of, my goal has been to try and figure out what's happening right now with me and project it, you know. Um, the difficult part for me, I don't always know what's going on with me. And it's part of why the music helps, you know. So even Mercury and Lightning... I look back and I understand more of what I was going through then, now, but than I did when I was actually writing the songs. I think most people think you've got to write a song so you can take, well, this is how I feel, this is what's happening, so I'm going to write a song about this. But for me, it's not. It's more like, I don't know what's going on, let's write a song. And I look back and I'm like, oh, I know exactly what was going on. But I was in a little bit of a confusing time. I, there is that uh, pressure to write songs that are going to, you know, pay the team, keep the machine rolling. I'm not machines, it's fun. Like, touring and making music like it's fun and it all costs money you know records cost a lot of money to make you know so um there is a little bit of pressure and then people look to me for some sort of spiritual thing which is a little weird i don't hate it but i feel a little bit of pressure there when you have people come up to you like your song changed my life or your song they come and tell you about they're in this place and they heard your song it's like there's a lot of pressure there all of a sudden it's like well, I just want to make a new record, but now I feel like i got to change your life again. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, I'm not sure how I did it the first time, you know? So there is a lot of pressure. And honestly, I, I don't, I, I do, I like honesty. I love honesty. I thrive on it. I think it's really, really important. There is also a time where I'm like, there's certain things that I don't want to unload on people. You know, like if I was having a hard time paying the bills and they were going to lose their house, I wasn't going to sit down with my kids and be like, hey guys, you know, Next couple of weeks, if daddy doesn't get it together, like, we're out of here. I don't know where we're going to go. Like, that's not, you don't unload on them. Right, right. You know, so I, I don't want to unload on people, you know, because, but I also, but I want to be as honest as possible without using people as a, 
You know what I'm saying. And be responsible. You know, like there's some people who are just in, they have this incredible faith and they're just in this great place in life and probably maybe they're younger. I feel like there are just times in life when faith is, you approach faith differently. And I think you probably need to. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to take you and you're in a healthy place and just send you for a loop. Like, no. cause I'm struggling with my faith over here. So that was hard. And I told Gabe, I said, Gabe, I just think maybe I just need to get some things sorted out before we do this record. And I'm really sorry, man. You know, like I feel like I'm going through stuff with my family and with my faith and, you know, uh, and I just don't know. I was like, I'm trying to write this record that's, you know, and, and, and Gabe was like, after a while, Gabe's like, you know what, why don't you just write the record that you're going through? He's like, if you don't have, if you don't have the worship songs to sing, he's like, that's fine. Let's just sing about what's happening with you right now. Maybe that's more interesting. So I was like, okay, well, let's just do it. You know, like, I don't know where we're going to end up. I don't know where we're going to land, but uh, here right now. And so let's write some songs, you know what I mean? And so I basically like, I wrote through my existential crisis. I didn't sort of get back and look and be like, I'm going to write a song about existential crisis. I'm in it. And I'm like, let's just do it. Let's just do this. Let's write about my existential crisis, which is weird because I'm writing songs like, I need a new religion or a new lie. And then I'm singing nothing stands between us but love. And I'm like, people are like, so (laughs) did you start here and end here? I'm like, no, I kind of, it's kind of all happening at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, you know, uh, I'm struggling with doubt, but I still really love the Lord. I love God. I actually really like church, but I'm sick of feeling like I got to play the game to be a part of these aspects of church, you know, um, I really love scripture and the Bible, but also like, I, I, I'm like, I'm seeing things a little bit differently, you know, like I, I personally believe that you can take, when you take the whole thing, you see the heart of God in the whole thing. But I don't think that every little scripture is a scientific fact, maybe scientific, because I'm not even just talking about the, um, you know, Genesis and all that. But I mean, they're just, I don't, we take these little scriptures like, like God is personally speaking. It's like, I think God is speaking, but he's speaking the way, you know, you, you look at a painting, right? If you're just on top of one little piece, like as someone who appreciates art, you get on top of that piece and see the artist's hand there, but you don't really understand what's happening unless you step back. You know, like those, like, Bob Marley posters where it's all these teeny little pictures of Bob Marley to make one big picture. That's how I think of scripture. Like it That's still is inspired. Like I, ever. I'm not saying that the Bible and scripture isn't good, but at the same time, I'm sort of like realizing that we've built our lives on these little sketches, on these little ideas that on their own are not necessarily 100%. Um, I don't want to say correct, but they don't make sense outside of the context of the whole. And we've taken out of context. That's the easiest way. I realize I feel like a lot of um, Christianity is based on Scripture taken out of context. You know? You got biases. Exactly. Also, we got stuff to do. And if I can't justify it, I'm going to have to dig through and figure out how to do it. Absolutely. You know, like slavery. Like we in the South, we got slaves we got to have them because we're making all this money. And it's like, what am I going to do if I don't have free labor? How in the world are we going to be a superpower if we don't have the free labor? You know, and all of a sudden it's like they're at risk of losing slaves. So like, yeah, well, they had slaves in the Bible. See, this is biblical. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's biblical for the record. I'm saying this is a caricature. 
But I'm saying this is how we approach the Bible. So we ignore the verses that say, let your slaves go. And we ignore the idea that slavery was a normal part of life back then and that the Bible was re- not revolutionary in the fact that some of them had slaves. It was revolutionary in the fact that it actually told the people of God to let their slaves go. I think that's the first time. I, I've read that that may have been the first time in recorded history where you know there were people who said, because before it wasn't like, it, slavery was normal. If they're not in your tribe or whatever, they're not, you know, you take them and you use them, right? And so we miss that, but we very easily go in and just pick out these little things that justify what we're doing because what we're doing feels important, you know? And I'm probably guilty of that too, you know? We're all guilty yeah, to, totally. some, to yeah. some degree. And that's the, yeah. that healthy mistrust even of yourself and what you want to be true and understanding yeah. biases a little bit kind of starts to crack the whole thing yeah, totally. a does. little bit. Totally. And that's not a thing that's easily repaired. Maybe repair isn't the word. It's not the kind of thing that's easily figured out. So I'm in the middle. I got people looking to me to make some statements about God. They're expecting me to make statements that change their lives. But I'm sort of struggling, and I'm coming through it in a good way. But I'm realizing through my journey that, like, oh, the way I approach this whole thing is different now. I will never approach it quite the same way Um but it's going to take me some time to figure that out. So now how do I tell you about God when all of a sudden I'm sort of thrown into a new world? Um, you know, so that was really, really hard. And honestly, I was really scared, you know. I was like, I'm going to do this record. Everyone's think I've just totally lost my faith. I'm totally off the rocker, and they're not going to want to buy my records or come to my concerts, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was scary making this record for sure. So what, what, just out of curiosity, what has the response been? Yeah, like, are, are you su- pleasantly, well, hopefully surprised? Yeah, well, the response has been really good, I want to say. Um, you know, people are coming to the shows. People bought the record. People listen to it. Um, I think there's a combination. Some people don't entirely know what's going on in the deeper parts of the record, and they just pull the parts that they like, which is fine. That's actually great. That's what we all do. You know, and then there are some people who, a lot of people who are like, hey, man, this album hit me right when I was going through the same thing. And that was probably the more shocking thing. I was like, I've gotten almost little pushback. I put a false god on the cover of my record. Like, you know what I mean? It's like literally a Greek god. And even my son asked me, he's like, Dad, he's like, I'm confused because this is supposed to be Christian, but you put the wrong god on the cover of your record. (laughs) I was like, indeed, I did, I did, indeed. Receptive little guy. I know. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) but what's funny, I got almost no pushback. We also did that weird Wilder Love video, which I loved. And I think, I feel like we started to weed out people. Yeah. Yeah. I think we started to weed out people who don't, aren't accustomed to nuance or accustomed to a little bit of mystery or, you know, weird, fun. Um, So we didn't get so much pushback from the record, you know. But I think also people hear the honesty, like I'm not, denying anything. I'm not making any statements. I'm more just like working through stuff. And I think a lot of people heard that and felt that, you know. Man, that's so cool. Like, so, you know, as somebody that's a public figure, you know, a quote unquote leader, you know, you know, you've got a tribe, you've got people that look to you, um, you know, from, from like a pulpit, you know, people want statements. They want, 
answers. They want yep. certainties, platitudes, whatever. Um, and, and you see some people actually starting to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you more questions. Yep. Um, as a worship leader, you're making that transition a little bit and yeah, yeah. Give, in giving people more questions. Like, what's that been like for you in how you relate to, like, your fans and, you know, just... Oh, the, just the difference between like giving people statements versus giving people more like inviting questions. Totally. Well, it's a little hard because people really want those statements, you know, and um, it's statements aren't bad necessarily, but um, it's just hard for me to just say, okay, we're going to say this and that's what we're going to sing about. You know, it's just so much more interesting to start asking questions, you know, and also the other thing I love about questions too is they don't require you to, um, so, uh, make a um, you don't have to commit to an idea mm. you can ask a question it can legitimately be a question instead of saying like God is this way not this way you can just say what if God is like this you know what I'm saying and nobody can hate you for it right. because you're literally just asking a question you know and so I love that I love that it's a great way to like you know do things um not under the radar, but it's just a, it's it's a great way to to make the music more of a conversation. Yes. Yeah, just trying to think about the best way to say that. I love that. Um, yeah, but questions in general, um, like for instance, the the last the bridge on nothing stands between us. So this is sort of the worship song of the record. And it builds up to this point, and the bridge is a question. Yep. And normally when you get to the worship song, it's like the statement. God is good. God is awesome. I mean, I have a song because God, God is good, too. So, you know, but, <laughs> you know, so I'm not making fun of anybody. But, you know, but works its way up, and I was like, all right, I wrote this song, and it's very, and I actually wanted it to sound a little bit older, like maybe 80s worship. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. talking about the river and the spirit of gladness. I was like, I want to <laughs> subvert and get really uncool you know honest, exactly <laughs> totally and then i work it up to this you know to this bridge and i feel like people are and i i, I feel like people are waiting for it to explode with some sort of statement and it's a question you know it's like have i tried to scale your walls in vain you know it's like this all of a sudden it's like whoa you know but it felt so right i think it just sort of launches you into a new world where all of a sudden you're not telling God what he's supposed to be. You let him be who he needs to be by just asking him a question, right? Oh, like you create the space. Question creates space. Like a statement doesn't create space. You can rally people around a statement, though. That's what's so tough. Yeah. Statements like, you know, get people's attention. You can draw them to a statement. But creating space with a question is so much more interesting to me sometimes, yeah. I think. Just doesn't, just unfortunately, doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. I know, <laughs> doesn't fit on a Facebook ad. Right, right. Yeah, well, but, it, but it creates space for introspection. Then at that point, whereas yeah. you know the swell, people are ready yeah. to like just declare how it is. Exactly. When you're actually kind of bringing them to a place where they have to almost be like, "Whoa, where am I at?" Totally. Exactly. Imagine that. Yeah. Like that could actually change somebody. I know. Or even just like, what are we talking about? You say God is good. All right. Well, let's define good. So yeah. what is good, you know? Yeah. Favor, God's favor, like, what does that mean? What is, you know, like, what is this all? You know, it's just, it's fun to explore those types of things. I think that's so much more of a, I'm so much more excited about that in worship 
Because I feel like we say a lot of things, we don't really know what we're saying. You know, I think it's so much more fun and it's so much more engaging. All of a sudden I'm like asking God, well, what is this? What does that mean? What is this? You know, it opens up the conversation and creates more space. That, that's some, we, we just interviewed a, an author named Jonathan Merritt who wrote a book. Oh, yeah, that's right. Speaking God yeah. from Scratch. And he talks about exactly that, like how we've, we've, uh, we've basically diluted all these religious terms to the point where we don't even know what they actually mean anymore. Yeah, totally. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's been, I mean, that's sort of the nature of deconstructing, right, is to figure out what the word even means. I feel like I've been doing that with worship music for a long time, where I'm like, I don't want to say this. Because it's been said, I want to ask, what does it mean? I don't want to say worship. I want to I ask what worship means. It's really interesting when you ask a Christian, like, what is worship? A lot of them don't know what to say. Yeah. And even I did it for years, and I didn't really know. If you ask me, it would be very difficult to define what it is. It doesn't mean you don't know what it is, but it's really interesting. Like, what is it really? Yeah. And there's, you know, like, why do we do it? Why do so many people do it? Why do you enjoy it? Like, why does it matter? You know, and it's just, yeah. And so then you take it further into everything else in Christian world. It gets, you know. (laughs) Back to earlier, what you said about how God just wants us to engage. I mean, when this started for John and I, it became a way, like, how can we get each other and others to engage more? And it all became about questions. And Mm -hmm. this word deconstruction kept just getting thrown around. And we're like, I think these are people that just want to be able to ask questions yeah, totally. without being shamed about it. Yeah, totally. And we see people engaging more in their faith than ever, even yeah. though a lot of times there's some painful transitions there. Yeah, yeah. But totally. Totally. Yeah. And even, I mean, for me, it goes back to this. Like, I think this is where my whole faith has, um, like, the focus of my faith has um, moved from sort of this idea of church taking over the world. You know, and when I was, even the medicine record put out 10 years ago, I was thinking, I did an interview about what's different between 10 years ago and now. When I put this out 10 years ago, I feel like I was trying to help the world out. I was trying to help people out. And through those 10 years, I realized, like, I feel like I was asking people to become something I had not yet even become myself. And that's okay, because I think what I was looking to was a good thing. But 10 years later, I'm like, you know, I want to know, I still want to know what the resurrection in my life looks like. Instead of trying to tell everyone else in the world what the resurrection is supposed to be, you know, so it's sort of classic, like, when I was young, I wanted to change the world, and now I just want to change me, you know? But for me, I think, um, trying to figure out how this all makes sense, but for me, it's almost like the focus has moved from uh, trying to conquer the world trying to conquer myself through the disciplines of the Jesus way, yeah. you know? And it's sort of like, I feel like we do things backwards. Like when I was oh, young, you're owning it. yeah, well, when I was younger, like I, I realized in the past few years, I've, I've read mostly Jesus. I realized before that I read mostly everything else. And there's this big, I mean, I read it, but I studied all the other parts of the Bible in this sort of Jesus shaped hole right there. I would read <laughs> through it, you know, but I sort of saw I sort of saw Jesus through the eyes of Paul or Jesus through the eyes of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is about conquering. It's like, yes, we're going to conquer. I didn't realize that Jesus is probably being a little bit uh, facetious when he talks about the kingdom. Right. Because everyone else is looking to Jesus to bring the sword and, like, rule everybody the way big rulers do. He's like, okay, okay. Well, let me tell you about the kingdom. You love your enemy. 
People are like, no, 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 no. We want the, you know. And so it's really interesting how we take his language and still use it in a tribalistic way when really he's using it really almost subversively. subversively. Yeah. 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 And so I, I miss that. So I've been looking at the world. I've been looking at the Bible from other filters, and now I'm trying to look, look at it through the filter of Jesus. And the Jesus way is more about the discipline, loving, forgiving, you know, not in let, don't let the anger take a hold of you. You know, and for me, it's like a, so much, um, there's so much weight lifted off of me. It's like I have all these ideas about the world, about the way it started, way it might end, about the afterlife. I have all these ideas, but Jesus just asks you to follow him. He just asks you to discipline yourself in the ways that he's disciplined. And sort of like all those other things can kind of come and go, you know, because they all revolve around the Jesus way. It's like if I commit myself to the Jesus way and trust in that, it's sort of like everything else has got to work out. Even if one day I wake up and I'm like, I don't know, you know, if, you know, the world was created in seven days, you know, I don't know. And maybe it was the next day. Maybe it was. I mean, God could do it. And then, you know, or like, <laughs> you know, I could tell you where I'm at with all that, but that doesn't really matter as much as I think that like in the end, like really what matters is do I commit myself to this way, you know? And it sort of takes the weight off. Like, I don't have to know, Yeah. you know? Yeah. You just have fun with it. Yeah. Questions. Totally. But I think we argue about all this knowing because we want to avoid the more difficult thing. It's easier to argue about theology than it is to like love your enemy. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude. I probably got a sound Yeah, check. there's there's no way we could top that off. So, no. um, so thank you so much. This yes. has been an absolute honor thank for us. Thank you. And uh, everybody go out and get the new record. Yeah, thank it's you amazing. so much. We'll put the tour dates up in the show notes. So awesome. Go check it out. Yeah, man. This was really fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. man. Thank you so much. Badlands as a child Where the dust devils dance On the dreams of the ivy wild In places you grow up The tumbling ground is rough And there is no domestic heart So what have we become? A nurse pedestrian There is no domestic heart No will to love Is hidden within
Netherlands as a child Where the dust devils dance on the dreams of the Ivy Wild Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.